My name is Adrian Castillo. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. For those of you who are new um, and haven't met me or haven't seen me, uh, I'm not just a random guy, but I am one of the pastors on staff here. However, my my uh, my main duty, my primary duty here on staff is to shepherd the, the Hillside campus that we have uh, back in Hillside, and uh, that's our Spanish campus, and so I get the privilege to lead and direct uh, that campus as its shepherd, but I still uh, get to serve here on campus as one of the pastors leading uh, our staff here as well, the San Ysidro, and work together with the other pastors and the elders in order to do so. So it's a pleasure of mine to be here with you guys, truly, truly is, and we are going to continue our series in the greatest gift, and today we're going to be taking a look at a gift called myrrh, but before we do that, one of the things that we do want to mention to you guys is that on December 24th, we are having our Christmas Eve services at 10, 11, 12 and 1. Four services. 10, 11, 12, and 1. Now let's all say that together. Ready? Let's see if you're awake. 10, 11, 12. All right. Most of you are. Some of you, mainly here in the middle in the front, but I appreciate you. So 10, 11, 12, and 1. Here's what we need from you um, we need you to be punctual. Uh, for your sake, uh, because the, our Christmas Eve services are only 45 minutes long. They're not very long at all. So we need you to be punctual to be here so that as you're walking in, we're not wrapping up and then you're having to walk right back out, right? And so we would love for you guys to be punctual and that's gonna help us as well, getting a turnover in the sanctuary and in the parking lot. And, uh, and, and so please, on the 24th of December, invite your family, invite your friends. It's one of the seasons which, in which most people are open to come to church and hear the gospel. And so if you have friends, family, neighbors, whoever it may be, and you've been wanting to invite them, uh, take, take, take a risk, take a step of faith and invite them to our, to our December 24th uh, gathering in, in one of our four services, 10, 11, 12 and 1 and be on time and that's going to help us and help our staff and our team get this place turned over uh, in time and in a way that's going to best serve you guys. So that's what I wanted to uh, just mention before I jump into the sermon. One of the things I do want to do as well is I, I, I got to shout, I got to give a shout out to the parking team. Who's, if there's anyone in the parking team here, great job guys. Come on, let's give them a round of applause. You know, it's very interesting, the stories we hear, especially being that we're a church, they get yelled at, they get cussed at, um, and, and that's not a joke. That's not a joke, it's true. And this team, all they're trying to do is serve you and everyone who's coming here. And they're doing a fabulous job, while a lot of us, in our impatience and selfishness, have mistreated them in a way that's not very res uh, responsive to the gospel. And so I ask you, as one of the shepherds here, I ask you, please understand in love and mercy and kindness that we don't just want to tell you where to park just so that we can tell you where to park, but we're doing so because we have a lot of vehicles that come in here and they got to get out and people need to get in and out safely. And so the parking team has been doing a phenomenal job. How about this week when you go out there you say, thank you. How about this week when you go out there, you give them a smile because they sit out in the sun while you're in here in the sanctuary and you know that the sun in Laredo eats us up, but man, they love to serve their church. Help them do that. Don't be a stumbling block. All right, let's build each other up. Can we do that? Can we do that? 
Don't worry, the second and the third service are going to hear that too. No one asked me to do that. I just uh, decided to do it on my own. All right, guys, let's jump into our, our Christmas series. And we're talking about the greatest gift. We're looking at the story in Matthew, the three gifts that were given to Christ Jesus when he was a baby. But, you know, when, when we talk about Christmas and we talk about this holiday season, it's a very exciting time of the year, a very exciting time of the year. And, and you see it in our kids' faces. You see it in teenagers. You even see it in adults sometimes because they know they're either going to take some time off or... They're going to get something or it, we're excited about this season period. It's, it's, it's one of those seasons that, that we sit back and we become very nostalgic if you're an adult. Uh, just recently, I'm sitting at home and, and my wife, Daisy, has got some Christmas carols or some Christmas music playing in the house. And I'm just being, I'm just going back. It's taking me back to my childhood. And it reminds me of the excitement I had when I was a kid. And, and I remember when I was very young, maybe five or six years old, maybe younger, I, I couldn't wait for Christmas. Christmas, and there was just an excitement that came over me because every year I, I was just so excited about what gift I was possibly going to get. What gift I was possibly going to get. I remember even as a teenager being so excited about the gifts that I was going to get in the Christmas season uh, that I went home after school or maybe on a Saturday, I think it was a Saturday, I was at home and I was just so excited about what, what did I get? I'm, I'm not a very patient person in that sense, and I want to know what I'm getting. And I'm trying to figure it out. I'm looking for clues. Don't tell Daisy, but I look at bank statements. I look at card statements. I'm trying to figure out where does she buy my gift if she bought me one. And so that happened when I was, when I was young. And I remember going under the tree, grabbing one of the boxes. I unwrapped it neatly. I made sure that the tape wasn't pulling up paper. Um, kids, I don't recommend this. Don't do this. Don't do this. This is not for you to go home and do it. But I, I ripped it open. I took out, and some of you have heard this before, but I, I took out a pair of tennis shoes that I really wanted. Man, I liked them so much. I knew my parents were going to be out. I knew everyone was out. And I put them on and I wore them for the day. <laughs> and by afternoon, by the end of the afternoon, I took those shoes off. I put them back in the box. I wrapped them up really nice and neatly. No one ever found out that I had done that. No one. It wasn't until years later that I actually confessed that to my mother and those who, uh, who had gifted me those pair of shoes. But that's speaks to the excitement one has. And I think what, what, what we're going to find out today is that when, when, we are given, when we are given a gift, especially one so great as Christ Jesus, there is an excitement that should come over the heart of the believer when our eyes are open to that gift. And my question to you today is, are you still excited about that gift? Do you understand the length to which God the Father went in his son, Jesus Christ, in order to give us this gift? And hopefully, by remembering these things, hopefully, during this Christmas season, each of us can be with our families, go through this season and time with a renewed excitement for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because we're going to see that in the lives of, of these wise men who brought these gifts to Christ. And so we're going to be in the book of Matthew. I'm going to start back in verses 1, and we're going to work our way to when these wise men get to Christ Jesus. If you're new with us, we'll have the scriptures here behind us, but if you're not new, the expectation is that I'm hearing pages flipping, and we're all reading the Bible together. No, we're not hearing pages flipping. All right, okay. We'll work on that, I promise. So it's in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And here's what Matthew wrote. And here's what he writes, and here's what he says. He says, now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, 
in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw this star, his star, when it rose and have come to worship him. We have come to worship him. Man, this, this is one of these stories that we go back to every year. Many of us, we have a manger scene in our homes. We might have it in our front yards. If you're competing for the best decorated home, I'm sure you do. And, and we remember the manger scene. We have stars and we have this and we have that. But, but a lot of times we don't stop and just ask simple questions. Because when we talk about these wise men, first off, and Pastor Eddie, I'm going to give you a hint. He gave you the answer last week. How many wise men were there? We don't know exactly. It doesn't specify, but we love saying that we three kings or three wise men came to Christ. But the story really doesn't tell us how many there were. Now, the other question that we need to ask about these men is who are they? Where did they come from? We know they're coming from the east. And more than likely, they were coming from the Persian kingdom. More than likely, these wise men uh, were Medes who were now under the control of Persia. And these wise men became like high priest to the Persian kingdom. As a matter of fact, when one studies the history, you find out that these wise men uh, that came to Jesus more than likely were, were people whom were present at sacrifices when the people in Persia would worship their gods. These were men who were highly skilled. These were men who were, were taught, they were brought up, and they were highly skilled in philosophy, in medicine, natural science, and they were even interpreters of, of dreams. These men were always seeking truth. That was their virtue. You knew that the magi or the wise men from the east were always seeking out truth. But the question then we have to ask is if they're coming from the east, why? And why are they so excited about this king of the Jews? Have you ever asked yourself the question? Why is it that three wise men from the east, or let me correct myself, the wise men from the east are coming and saying, where is this king of the Jews that they were so excited about? And the reason for that, more than likely, is as some historians have written, uh, they show that during this time, there was an expectation there was an expectation that there would be someone born and a king would come from the Jewish descent who would set up a kingdom, a universal kingdom, and rule all. This wasn't just a Jewish prophecy. This was something that other nations, Gentile nations, who were far from God were also hearing and understanding. As a matter of fact, let me take you to some of the historians. Suetonius wrote... An ancient and established belief had spread throughout the East that at that time it was destined that men from Judea should rule the world. Now, this isn't a Christian historian, nor was he a Jewish historian. Uh, and there's another gentleman, his name is, uh, I think it's uh, Tacitus. So Tacitus writes this, he, that there was a firm persuasion that that at the very moment the East would become powerful and the rulers coming from Judea would acquire a universal empire. This was an expectation that was in the surrounding nations, not just in Judea. So when, when these wise men start hearing or hear that, that there is a star that is declaring the birth of a Judean king, the king of the Jews, 
they were excited about this and they went searching for him. They went searching for him. And for us as believers, when we look at these guys, there is something that we can learn from them. And one thing that we can learn from them and that we can even stop and ponder and ask our own hearts and our own selves is, where is my excitement for the king of the Jews? Where is my excitement for the king of the world? Where is my excitement for King Jesus that we have come to know? Is your excitement only to come every Sunday and receive on your own? Or does your excitement expand beyond that? And does your excitement also include your home life and your work life and your relationships and everything you do? Because these men were willing to come from far off. They weren't believers. They didn't have a full revelation, but they were willing to come from far off, far away, and pursue truth by finding this king, this baby that was born, the king of the Jews. And for us, we have a full revelation of who this king is. We have a full revelation of the gift that he is for us and what he came to do for us. Yet many times in our lives as believers, don't we falter in this excitement? Don't we allow other things in, in our life to fill our hearts and cause us to pursue after them instead of pursuing after him? Maybe for you, we, we're, we're talking about uh, you, we're talking about the the just the upbringing of your children. You're so consumed with your children that you have forgotten that your very purpose is to lead them in the ways of the Lord. Maybe for you, it might be your career. Maybe for you, it might be your name. Whatever it is, whatever it is, let's be like these wise men. And let's renew our excitement in pursuing after the very King Jesus that has been given to us through the gospel, whom God has called us to faith in, and let's live this life for him. It's one of the reasons why then we can come to church and be upset when someone asks us to park somewhere, because we have forgotten the very reason that we're here. And so we, we, we must, we must take a page out of their lives and out of their books and challenge ourselves and say, God, you've given us this amazing king. Why wouldn't I pursue him every day of my life? Why wouldn't I read more of his scriptures? Why wouldn't I want to be in prayer? Why wouldn't I want to be an example of him to the rest of the world? But first, first, we have to renew this excitement that we have in our hearts for our salvation and our very Savior and allow that to lead us. We continue to read in Matthew chapter 2, verses 3 and 6. It says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes uh, of the people, he inquired of them where, where the Christ was born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, uh, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people of Israel. And then verses 7 through 8 says, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. I, may, I too may come and worship him. So now the story introduces King Herod. 
and the wise men have gotten to Jerusalem. And they get to Jerusalem. Why? Because a star is leading them there. Why would the star lead these wise men to Jerusalem, even though Jesus wasn't there? Well, could it be that as we read through the book of Mark, that there was a proclamation of something that was happening? The prophecies were being fulfilled. And so as the star leads the wise men to Jerusalem, and as King Herod finds that the wise men are searching out this new king of the Jews, who does he go to first? He goes to the religious leaders in Jerusalem. So could it be that God is announcing to them the time is now and the time has come? The time is now and the time has come. Now, it's interesting because in this part of the story, we, we, we have three different characters. We have the wise men, King Herod, and we have the religious leaders. The wise men we know are in pursuit because they're pursuing truth. They're pursuing excitement. They're pursuing because they want to know who this king that they even heard about was. Herod, on the other hand, Herod, on the other hand, we know the story, or if you don't know the story, I'm going to explain it to you. Herod was great. He was a great king, they said. As a matter of fact, his name was Herod the Great. Uh, why? Well, because Herod was known to be a very generous king, a very benevolent king. As a matter of fact, Herod was also a great uh, constructor, and, and, and he, under his leadership and under his, his kingship and his direction, uh, he was the one who rebuilt the temple. And so Herod is first appointed governor in 47 BC. He receives the title of king in 40 BC, and he reigned until 4 BC. And Herod, again, was known, Herod the Great. But King Herod had one flaw. And that flaw that King Herod had was a, an amount or, or a great amount of jealousy for his crown and his kingdom and power. So much so that King Herod went to great lengths to protect his kingdom. And that length that he went to was even murdering his own wife, his mother-in-law, and murdering his three sons. Of Herod, it is written, it is safer to be Herod's pig than his own son. Why? Because Herod had a great jealousy, and he was not going to allow his kingdom to be handed off to anyone else. As long as he was alive, it was his. And so, as we're reading this story, we see that it says Herod the king heard and he was troubled. Why was he troubled? Well, because he was very jealous. He did not like the fact that he was hearing that there was a king of the Jews that was born, and that these wise men were out looking for him. And when he tells the wise men, go and find out, and maybe, uh, maybe, just maybe, uh, when you find out, I can go and worship him too, he was not telling the truth. And we'll find that out later on. But Herod had a very jealous attitude, and many of us can have the same attitude when we talk about the gospel, when we talk about Jesus, or we're talking about God. And, and there's two people I want to talk to first. If you're a believer and you're here, we can be jealous, just like Herod, with parts of our heart and parts of our lives. And those are the parts where we tell God, stay out. Stay away. Don't, don't touch that. That's mine. It's sacred. Right? We, we, we act as though we can actually submit ourselves to Christ Jesus as our King, our Lord, our Savior, and, and, and choose to tell him, hey, um, you stay on that side while these things will stay on this side. Stay out. I don't want transformation in my drunkenness. I don't want transformation in the lust of my eyes. I don't want transformation in my greed. I don't want transformation in any of these areas of my life. And we're jealous for these areas. And we don't want to give them up and we don't want to touch them. We have arguments with people who bring them up and we remove God from these areas of our lives and say, do not touch them and do not transform that. 
And others of you, we, we, you may not be a believer, and, and you may be actually put off by the idea of Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior. You may be put off by the idea of the gospel. But both of you, let me tell you something. God is going to do what he's going to do. Nothing's going to hold him back. Nothing's going to hold him back. We, have, we, we, ha- we can either submit and surrender all as those who love Christ, or we can fight with God the rest of our lives thinking that we can actually hide something from him when we can't. So the best thing for us to do is just to submit it all. And for those of you who are jealous of, of, of your own thoughts, ideas, well, God is going to do what he's going to do. And, and my prayer is that he's working on your heart to soften your heart so that the seed of the gospel can fall on your heart and someone can water it and someone can give it light and that God himself is going to bring that seed to life in you and bring eternal life in your, in your own heart. Because God is going to do what he's going to do. The religious leaders were indifferent. They really didn't care. They weren't happy either. They weren't celebrating. They didn't throw a party. They weren't saying, yay, God, you're fulfilling your prophecies. Uh, They were indifferent. And they had reasons. Same thing. They wanted their power. And so as we continue to read, it says in Matthew chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, it says, After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until uh, it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with what? With great joy. Okay? How many of us walk into this place, into this gathering of the saints, knowing that we're going to worship Christ, we're going to worship God, and we're going to learn more about him? How many of you walk in here with exceeding joy? All right. And some of us, we don't. There's a football game. I'm wearing blue and white because the Cowboys play today. I'm excited. They're going to beat the Eagles, no questions asked. <laughs> Squirrel. <laughs> What was I talking about? Okay, I'm going back. How many of us walk in here with exceeding joy, guys? How many of us, how, how many of us obey God with exceeding joy? You see, did, did you know that our obedience is a sign of our love to him? It, it's not the way that we're saved. It's not the means by which you're saved, but it is the result of our salvation. And, and when we live our lives, even in obedience, we should do so with exceeding joy. We should do so with exceeding joy because he's given us the greatest gift that one could ever ask for. And just as these wise men finally got to him, they finally see him, they finally have the truth. So we, in our spiritual lives, we're on this journey that God brings us on. He reveals the truth of the gospel. We come into salvation and we should have this very joy that they have in their hearts. We should have that joy for Christ. And the problem is, is that we allow the things of this world and the suffering and the, the, the worries and, and all of these uh, outside events and items, we allow them to suffocate the joy that's, that Scripture says nothing should be able to steal. Because if we have the joy of our salvation, nothing that happens in this world should ever take it away. Joy is not a matter of happiness Happiness is about happenings and joy is about who gives it to you. And if God has given you joy, then so be it. Allow that joy to live in your heart for the rest of your time here on earth and in eternity with him. Because nothing, and I tell you, nothing can separate a believer from the love of God. And when you go back to that passage in Romans that tells us that, Paul even says, and he's talking about difficult circumstances people are going through, and he says, you're more than a conqueror. You are victorious in this. And church, listen, here's a secret. 
He's not telling them that they're going to get out of the circumstance. He's telling them that the knowledge of the love of God that will never, ever leave you makes you victorious even when you're suffering in this life. So that joy they had is the joy we come to experience when we come into the knowledge of Christ because now, boom, behold, he's before us. We know him. We know him. And therefore, our response should be rejoicing with great joy. Matthew chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, we keep reading. It says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned, to, to, being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed from their own country by another way. They searched, and when they found the baby, they brought him gifts. They brought him gifts. They searched, and they brought him gifts. And then the story tells us that they were warned not to go back to Jerusalem and tell Herod because Herod had a plan. And the plan of Herod was to destroy this baby. As a matter of fact, we know in the following verses that Herod sets up a plan. And he tells the people, anyone from two years of age and under, uh, just anyone, any boy, baby, just go and kill them all. Just go and kill them all. Genocide, mass genocide, just to protect his crown. But he didn't get that chance because of what I said earlier. God is sovereign. When God sets a plan, he fulfills it. He does it. He's faithful. There's no and, if, or buts with him. He does it. But let's focus on myrrh. What is myrrh? What is this gift? Why myrrh? Next week, you guys will talk about gold. But myrrh was one of the gifts that was given. And myrrh, interestingly, is a spice. It was something that was given. It was something that was used to embalm the bodies of the dead. Used to embalm the bodies of the dead. As a matter of fact, John chapter 19, verses 39 through 40, talks to us about this. It says, And Nicodemus, who had previously come to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 33, uh, about 33 kilos then they took the body of Jesus and wrapped it in linen clothes with spices, as is the custom of burial among the Jews. So even in his infancy, he wasn't a newborn when the wise men came. They didn't come and find him in the manger. They came and found him in Bethlehem at his house. The star they were following, was, it wasn't some star that... that, that they were looking at as astronomers, but, but it was something extraordinary that was leading them to Jerusalem and then over to Bethlehem. And it says, until they got to the house of Jesus, then it stopped and they knew they were there. This was God's leading and direction and taking them so that they can come and see the king and worship him and worship him by bringing gifts and even the gift of myrrh. Even in his infancy church, Jesus Jesus was being given a gift that would speak to his end here in this world, to his time here in this world. We know that Jesus resurrected and he's eternal, but his body, on his body, he had to take on that death. For what and why? Well, the problem is what Romans 3.23 tells us. It says, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
we've all sinned. There's no distinction. There's no difference between anyone, any, any person in this world, whether Gentile or Jew, whether white or black, whether Hispanic or Asian, it doesn't matter. We all come with the same problem in our lives, and that problem is that we've all sinned and we fall short of his glory. Everyone. Then we have the penalty. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it tells us, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have the problem we have the penalty, and, and if you're like me, you've sinned because we're all human. We've all sinned. And the only thing any of us have ever earned in our life is not a pat on the back by God, but it's the death certificate. It's his wrath upon us for sin. For the wages of sin is death. It's what we've earned. A wage is something you earn. You see it in your paychecks and your check stubs. It's the easiest way to explain it. So with one sin, we've already earned spiritual death. It says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then we go to chapter three, verses 23 and 25 in Romans, and it tells us the substitute. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by what? By faith by faith. Church, Jesus had to come to this world and as y'all learned last week, frankincense because he lived a perfect life without spot, without ruin, without any problem, without any defect. He came and he did exactly what none of us could ever do. And he came and he did that so that he could take on the wrath of God on the cross the way each of us should have. That's the gospel. And when he's dying on that cross, we all know his famous words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is the moment that he was experiencing a spiritual separation between him and the Father. A spiritual death, just like we read in Romans chapter, chapter six. It must happen. Propitiation, speaking to the, 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 the substitutionary sacrifice that he is for you and me. The, sh the bloodshed happened for you and me. His death happened for you and me. And it happened so that through his death, we could have life. We could have forgiveness. We could be redeemed. We could be justified. We could stand in the presence of God completely whole and forgiven of our sin because our Christ, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, came to this world and he offered himself to the point of death, the scripture says that Jesus learned obedience through suffering, even to the point of death on the cross. It was his destiny. It had to happen. And we have been given this amazing gift that we no longer stand under the wrath of God as believers. We no longer stand under the wrath of God for our sin, but we've been forgiven. And now we live in relationship with the very God of this world, loved by him. Ephesians tells us we're adopted by him as sons and daughters with the same benefits of Christ Jesus, that we are co-inheritors with his son, Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was willing to give up his life to the point of death. And 
as we read this story, let that myrrh, let that gift of myrrh that was used to embalm his body when he had been taken off the cross, let it be a reminder what he did for you and me. And church, if that doesn't bring excitement, if that doesn't bring about a response of worship, I don't know what else can. What, what are, we, are, are we waiting for a miracle in our life to be renewed in our excitement for God? Well, you were once dead and now you've been made alive. Isn't that not the greatest miracle one could ever experience? Are we waiting for the, for the financial breakthrough, blessing and career breakthrough that we want in this world? Is not the inheritance promised to us in eternity far greater than anything you will ever accomplish and win in this world? then what are we waiting for? Are you waiting to experience a time when, when there's no sickness, when there's no war, when there's no violence, when there's no division amongst ourselves? Is that not what we're promised in eternity? We have something to be excited about. And because of this excitement, we should offer our lives in worship to him in a pursuit of truth, just like these wise men did. The point of the sermon today is this. Because Jesus gave his life for me, I will worship him in constant pursuit of his truth. How do you live that out this week? How do you live that out this week? How do you pursue the truth of scripture, the truth of your savior? If you're a believer, the next words that come out of your mouth, will they be an example of his love, mercy, and kindness? Or will they be but the opposite? How will you act this Christmas season? Will you remind yourselves and your family that he is the greatest gift we could have ever received? And not only that, will you remind your family and your friends that not only did he come once, man, he is coming again. He is coming again. And God will fulfill his word and be faithful to it in our lives, in this life, and in the next. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being so good to us. We thank you for offering your son, Jesus, for sending him here with the purpose of redeeming us. Father, for those of us who are believers, we, we ask that this truth would, would reignite a passion and excitement for the pursuit of truth and the pursuit of him in our lives to be seen every day. And for those, Father, that you are bringing to yourselves, I pray that today's message would be just another seed or a watering or a sunlight needed for you to bring about that seed to life, eternal life in their hearts. We pray that we could be an example of love to our community. Even in this holiday season of impatience, selfishness, greed, I pray that we'd be reminded that it is because of his humility, selflessness, and his gifts that we have this eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name.